Welcome to the weekly podcast of Upper Room Christian Fellowship in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thank you for listening. But I don't enjoy it as much. But yesterday, um, I was waiting for the fellows to show up for the men's study. I was just sitting in the sun at 8 o'clock in the morning. I enjoyed it. Feel the sun. It warms your soul. See, I, I, I just took it for granted. But now that the cold kind of dictates that, I, I enjoy the warmth of the sun so much more. It's kind of like, you know, when you go through a dark night, when you're yearning for that morning to, to show itself, the sun to, again, hide, get away from that hiding behind the planet and come out and show itself. But again, it gives you a different perspective. It gives you hope. And so that's the thing about whenever there's a darkness in your life or in, in anything that you're going through, that when that, that hope, that light begins to shine through, then you understand the darkness a little better. And as a walk with the Lord, even more so. See, we're learning. We're growing. We're all students. No, we just sent our kids off, but we are. We're, we're in this together. We're, we're opening God's Word together to learn, to grow, because God's the teacher. And see, He's teaching us. Teaching us through our mistakes, through our failures, uh, through, through the good times and the bad times. God is always at work teaching us. We're willing to listen. But see, you always have to have those contrasts to appreciate Appreciate life and your relationship with God, really. And see, that's where we find ourselves in Romans, if you will. There's going to be a contrast here is to understand something. And that's actually what we've been going through. In fact, if you were been with us uh, last week, we were talking about the unrighteous, the ungodly, those that were totally turning their backs upon God and allowing their their sinful nature to take its full course. And we understand that progresses into darkness. But remember, Paul was first speaking to the Romans, and the Romans is a is a, a group of churches, house churches. It's a little it's just small. But still Paul, that's what he longed for was to go to Rome because Rome was the capital city. Rome was all roads lead to Rome, but all roads lead out of Rome. So Paul is excited to go there. But again, he's telling that you guys are saints. And he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. And see, that's the power of it. It's the transformation. It's, it's the understanding of the darkness so that you can come to the light. Who is Jesus Christ? And that's why he was contrasting with the sinners, if you will. Those that weren't looking to the light. But see, we who are in the light appreciate it because we understand the darkness. But now coming to the light, there's so much joy in that. But see, what we're going to come to now in Romans, if you will, because he's going to start it off with therefore. What therefore stands off starts off for what? The past. Remember that. It's always what's previously spoken. So again, what he was speaking of is what not only the gospel, but he was saying these unrighteous, but now he's going to change going to change the who he's speaking to. It may surprise you because what he's speaking to then 
is to the religious, to the moralist, to the self-righteous. See, there was Greek philosophy that, that looked down upon that lifestyle. And to be a higher intelligent was to look at that as being the sinful, not necessarily sinful, but just the, the human nature that was belittling. It was almost animalistic. And even Plato speaks of that. It's that when a society gets to this way, that again, they're taking to their, their animal instincts rather than being a human, a man or a woman. So that's where we're going to find ourselves here now in Romans chapter 2. So as we do here, because again, it's not that this we worship, but we worship the God who spoke these words. And I just like doing this because again, it gives us in a mindset that we're standing before God and we're listening to His Word and His Word transforms and changes us. So if you would, if you rise for the reading of the Word, and I promise you I'm going to get better at this. I'm going to be able to give the Scripture to Caleb, before the message, so it will be up there so you can see it, rather than have the pulpit. I love the sound of paper moving, too. I have to tell you that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 2. And we're going to make it through 11 verses today. I know. Hold on to your seats. Bless you. Verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient countenance and doing good seek for glory, honor, immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey the unrighteous indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish, on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for, again, your word. Your word is truth. Lord, it is what we anchor our hearts to is your truth because it holds, and what we hold in our hands is the promises of your mouth. In those promises, we have found life. And Lord, we rejoice in that. Our heart's desire is this morning and every time we open your word is to learn from you because we all acknowledge that the teacher, the true teacher is your spirit. So bless this time, Lord, we pray. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. To judge means to pronounce judgment, to condemn. Notice it's Jew or Gentile. Gentile, Greek, Gentile, everyone. So when you condemn another, you condemn yourself. 
You practice, it means to be busy with, carry on, to undertake, to do. You do the same thing. You do the very same thing. Now, we're going to look at this and we're going to see two things. We're going to see the sin of man, the moralist. But we're also going to see the judgments of God. But always remember this. Keep in the back of your mind that the gospel has been preached. There's hope through all this. And if you really pay a close attention, you're going to see something. That we're on a road. Some of you may be familiar with it. Some of you may not. But let's dig into this. So the first thing I want you to take notice of is that they do not understand the nature and the extent of sin. See, what they were doing was they were looking at these people and saying, that is awful, that's horrible, I cannot believe they do that. But they don't understand something that in Romans 3.10 it says, none are righteous, no, not one. All humanity is under the persuasion, the power, the nature of sin. But see, the moralist is one that thinks that they don't do those horrible things. So the second thing we find is that not only they don't understand the extent of sin, that it's everywhere, it's everyone, but that they're also, number two, blind to their own sin. See, again, they would say, oh, I can't believe that guy. It's like that guy, say he embellishes or he, he somehow he's able to manipulate people, but he doesn't understand that he manipulates his little ways at home. He does the same thing. Maybe not on that scale. Or maybe he looks at the adulterer and says, I can't believe that person does that. But they're lusting in their hearts. And Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed the sin. But it's so easy to be blind to your own sin. It's so easy to look at, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as that person, so I must be okay. So you become blind to your own sin. In Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. To be blind though is... To be blind to the cancer inside you is to say, I don't have it. I'm not sick. But you know the reality is, is we all have cancer. Did you know that? Your body is continually battling against cancer. And thank God Jesus Christ has won the victory for us in sin. But see, to be blind then, what it does to someone is that keeps them from seeing the truth. Because if you can't see the contrast, if you can't see your own sin, then you're not going to go to the light. You're not going to go to the salvation that is given to us. But notice in verse 2 what Paul says. He says, but we know, there's a separation folks, but what? We know the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. So God, understand this, judges according to truth. Now in Hebrews 
the writer says this, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What you think in the separation of all humanity, in that dark little room, in that place where that you're getting angry at your husband, your wife, your kids, and you're getting to that place of sin, and you think you're fine, and you're not, because God sees all. He knows our thoughts before we think them, David tells us. Everything about us, He knows about us. But notice He judges in truth. In truth. God sees in all the motive and the intent. Wouldn't you wish that all the judges were able to judge like that? On this earth? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Now, look at verse 3. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? See, again, it becomes extreme judgmentalism. It's the focus of sin on others. And it seems to lessen their own. But if you look at it too, it shows that God's judgment is sure. It will happen. Oh, I know a lot of us are thinking, Oh God, why don't you judge the earth now? Well, we'll find out why. In Hebrews 2, 3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to those by those who heard Him? Oh, turn, for the judgment is sure. Everyone will stand before Him. Everybody will give an account. There's not one person on this earth that has ever lived that will not have to stand before Him. The judge that judges according to truth. The judge that is sure to come. Now look at verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, long-suffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. That word despise means to think little or nothing of. To dismiss. Even disdain. What the riches. The abundance of what? God's goodness. He's virtuous. In Psalm 73.1, the psalmist writes, Truly, God is good. It's good. But see, to understand it even further, was the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and called him good. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus questioned him. Why do you call me good? Why? Because there is only one that is good, and that is God. And that means His character. He's virtuous. He's pure. He's holy. He's good. All the time. See, we would not know evil if we didn't understand good. But we can't understand good if there's not a perfect picture of what good is. Because I can say good enough. And that's really not taking the word to its fullest extent. Good enough is not perfect. God is perfect. God is the ultimate good. 
And if he's the ultimate good, then he's the only one that knows what is bad. Are you with me? To know God, then, is to know that he is good. And to know that he is good is to know his character. To know his character is though he never changes. He's always good. It's kind of like what we say, right? God is good. And the other person would say, all the time. So again, as believers, we have to take heart to this. Because no matter what we're going through our lives, we have to say, back up and listen to ourselves and Listen with the intent of what we're saying, that God is good. Even in this, God is good. That never changes. And if we're fair with it, it should lift us up and realize He's got me. He is righteous and true. His forbearance. He's holding back judgment. His long-suffering. He suffers long. He's slow in avenging wrongs. He's patient. Them not knowing shows they're ignorant. That's what the word basically means. They're ignorant. So, what's the number four thing we learn about sin? Misunderstanding God's patience with approval. We see this in the church. We think that because we're living in sin, some, and God's not judging them, then God must be approving of it. And we see this creeping into the churches. That not only the people are believing this, but even pastors and ministers are believing this. That people can live certain lifestyles and it's okay. Because God is too good to hurt anyone. God approves of it. No. You can't do that. That's misjustice of who God is. Because even this passage right here, they're misunderstanding God's patience with approval. But look, really what it is is God's goodness. He's withholding judgment that leads to repentance. So this is the third thing we learn about God and His judgment. He's holding back so that they would what? That they would... Lead them to repentance. Peter says it this way. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And in Romans 6.23 it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's withholding judgment, even in this country, as this country has turned its back on God, but still people are saying, well, where's God's judgment? Well, some say that God's been judging this country for a while now. But ultimately, we can understand that God's forbearance, God's not willing that any should perish. And as the culture's turning aside, it's turning aside from the God that actually gave this country its existence. And don't think, oh, well, does that mean we're really special? No, because God is the one that gives every country its existence. God's the one that started governments. 
So in saying that, though, God used this country for his purpose. But this country has now turned their back on him. And this thing, that reason we haven't seen quite the, the fallout yet is because of God's patience and goodness that leads to repentance. Now look at verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath, revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who by patient countenance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and mortality. Now the hardness that you see in this is a word, a Greek word, that's sclerotis, where we get the word sclerosis. It's a hardening. It's a progressive hardening. It's the hardening of their heart because it's unrepented. So the fifth thing we learn about sin is it hardens the heart. In Hebrews 3.13, it says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So understand that sin, especially unchecked, what it does is it hardens the heart. It becomes something that, well, God's not judging me. I'm doing okay then, and I'm alright. And because of that, you're not sensitive now to, to God. It's more of how I feel about myself, what I want, what I desire, what I need, what I want. It becomes so hardened in their hearts that they don't understand that it's God's judgment is righteous and just. God's judgment is righteous and just. Remember we read this in, in verse 18 of chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And again we come to this place to understanding that God is a God that judges true. God judges sure. God judges with goodness withholding it so people would go would be led to repentance. God's judgment is righteous and just. He is a just, righteous God. But wait a minute. Even in saying this, because of the patience of God, we learn something else. In Romans 5 8 it tells us this. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that why we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So see, we see something here. We see the pattern of God desiring for all to understand that everybody's under sin and everybody's under the judgment. But even more so that God is true in His judgment and He's just. And it's sure, it will come to pass. But hold the phone, because see, God so loves us, He commanded His love, even though we were sinners in darkness, God said, no, wait a minute. I love you. Even in your darkness, do you hear me calling? Do you see my heart? Peter will go on to say this, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. You who committed no sin, 
him who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Judgment had to come. Judgment does come. And it will come. It's sure. It's true. It's just. But wait a minute. We've just talked about this several times. Why? Because it's the gospel message. God commanded His love towards us. In that, why were yet sinners? Christ died for us. So Christ dying for us, taking our penalty, making the payment, taking God's wrath that should have been for you and should have been for me, and bearing it on Himself. This is the God that we worship. The God that judges true has declared to those who come to Him, I wipe out the sin. I do that. And again, for us that are following, we have to look at ourselves and do I want to be religious? Or do I want to walk with the the shepherd of my soul? Do I want to continue to play with those things that I know just hardens my heart? Or do I want to look before Him and say, cut me open and do as You will? I don't want to practice sin. I don't want to live apart from You. I want You. Look at verse 7 again. Eternal life to those who by patient countenance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. That patient countenance it means steadfast, consistency, endurance. Speaks of a man that will not be taken off course from his faith and in doing good. Seek means to seek after in order to find glory, honor, immortality. It means incorruption. It means purity. You might ask, is that the stuff I seek after? Peter kind of clarifies it for us. He puts it this way, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see, him yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of joy. That's what you're seeking after. Your faith is going to be tried and true, no matter the darkness, because you know He's the light. No matter how far you fall, because you know that you would cry out, He lifts you out of that pit. And He establishes your steps, and He puts a new song in your mouth. Praises to Him, so that sinners, when they see it, that you may turn and tell them about the grace, the love, the beauty, and the power of God. See, to see, again, it's, it's to the religious, it is. It's to the moralist. 
But it's also to understand for us not to be like that is to continually say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And what you see in me now is not going to be the person I shall be because he's doing a new work in me. But in doing that, there's still a residue of the old nature. It's dead. It's the old story of the golfer that went golfing with his buddy. And when he came back, they asked him, how'd you do? He goes, oh, not very good. Why? Because my buddy Fred died on the ninth hole. The ninth hole? Well, what happened? Well, I didn't want to... Look, I knew the weather was going to turn bad. I didn't have time to go to clubhouse, so I just dragged Fred around. I dragged him for nine holes, and I did terribly. The idea is, again, we drag this dead body around. And if we don't acknowledge what it has, what the reason why he had to die and why we continually live on this earth, that it will keep trying to resurrect itself. And whisper in our ears, you need this, you want this, you desire this. Think of yourself. Think of you. The reality is He's delivered us from that old nature, that sinful nature. He's given us life. He's given us immortality. He's given us glory. He's given us honor. But those that don't see this, those that continue in their sins, those that continue to think that they're alright and that God just looks at them with a blind eye, look at verse 8. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and to also the Greek. Self-seeking and do not obey the truth, we find the product of sin and what it produces. Because see, they obey unrighteousness, they're sold out, they're in slavery to it. Indignation, they're full of anger and wrath and natural disposition of temper, character, agitation of the soul, impulse, desire, violent emotion, tribulation, pressing together, metaphorically means the oppression, affliction, affliction, anguish, a narrow place. The idea of being squeezed together in distress. This is what sin causes. There's no peace. It's anguish. It's tribulation. It's wrath. It's anger. We all can understand that. We can all relate to that. We can also see that. We see it in our culture. You're wondering why people are so angry right now? It's because when you're trapped in sin, then the soul becomes squished and distressed, full of anguish and pressure. When you're self-seeking, and you can understand this too, because I surely do, when I'm self-seeking, these things can creep in too. It's all about me. And all of a sudden, I'm getting angry at you because you didn't see me. You don't understand me. What about me? You with me? Jesus says, no, that's not for you. Look at verse 10. But glory and honor and 
peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and to also the Greek. See, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to understand something. Somebody that's come to the light and understands the gospel message. That they were in darkness and now they've come to light. That there's glory. That means God has a good opinion concerning us now. Because He sees Christ in you. Aren't you glad? I'm sure glad. He sees Christ in you. He's covered you with His righteousness. He's given you honor. That means value by which the price is fixed. Because you were bought at a price. See, He commanded His love. He sent His Son. He bought you at this price. He sees value in you. And He sees that you're good. Not because of you, but again because of He who's done the work in you. But notice also, it's peace. If you do not have peace this morning, then I will suggest something to you. It's because you're not letting God's peace reign in your heart. God says, peace, be still. No anguish. If you're anguish, he says, then pray to me. Don't be anxious for anything. Feel alone with your eyes. Feel like things are not working out for you? All things work together for good. Within the love of God. There's a rest in it. There's a peace. The world can't understand that. But it needs to be here. We all need to grab hold of this. Because the world is being agitated. The world is going around and around. The world is being tumbled. Here should be peace. Oh, I don't mean everything's perfect. But it's understanding that what's not perfect, God is using to make us perfect. Make our faith tried and true. Make our faith in only one person. And it's not me. It's not you. The wonder and the beauty of that. But I want you to notice the last thing about God who judges. Look at verse 11. For there is no partiality with God. To the Jew first. Over the Gentile. Why the Jew first? Well, again, with much responsibility given, then this responsibility is required. They were given the Word of God. They were given the Messiah. God in His justice, God in His righteousness, God in His goodness. Told the disciples who were Jewish, go to the Jews first. Those are my chosen. And remember this, God is not done with the Jew. That's God's goodness. Then he said, go to the Gentile. Not that we're less, but they were first. They're the elder brother, if you will. It doesn't take away from the privilege and the joy that we have. But notice it's no partiality. God doesn't judge by, by our looks. 
Sorry, Mike. You had that going for you. Not because of that. Or because Jeff's over there falling asleep. Oh, yeah, wake up, Jeff. I forgot to mention you. You okay? All right. I'm almost done, right? And it's not because of Jeff's beard. With or without it. Salome would not show me the book she was reading. God is not going to keep her out of heaven just because she didn't show me the book. Point is, is God doesn't show any partiality. There's only one thing He asks. It's only one question. Did you come? Did you see? Because see, in Romans 10, Verse 12 and 13, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter your status in any society. It doesn't matter about your height. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, your eyes, your hair, if you have teeth or no teeth. There's only one thing the Lord asks of you. Did you come to my son? Did you take that which I gave to you to receive? When I commanded my love towards you. Now are you resting in that? Your faith growing in that. And then the, really, if you will, the invitation that is to all is just very simple. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. With the heart one believes to righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says. We are all on a road. And that road, it leads us into His presence. But wait a minute. It's not just His presence at the end of it. No, it's His presence throughout our lives. It's Him trying to get us to, to understand, to think, reason, to walk, to communicate, Talk to Him. To be assured that He's with you. So we learn to listen to Him, to know Him, even before we get there. One of my mentors, Chuck Smith, used to say it this way. He goes, I just desire to just draw closer and closer and closer to the Lord. So that when I do die and I get to heaven, it takes me at least 30 human minutes to realize that, oh, I'm now in heaven. Because I walked that close to the Lord. Uh, Did you pick up the road? Did you see it? It's called the Roman road. Throughout Scripture. It's Romans 3, 10, 323, 623, 5, 8, 10, 13, 10, 9, and 10. It's the Romans road. And it leads us 
to his beautiful, wonderful face. Sin, oh, it just hardens the heart. Sin, it just puts you in anguish and sorrow and suffering. Sin, it promises so much, but it gives so little. And it takes so much. God gave it all. And you received it. Oh, glory and honor and immortality and peace. It's yours. That's the power of the gospel message. And that's something that my prayers for each of us is that we begin to learn to grasp and hold on to and to walk in day-to-day fashion. Any of us perfect? No. But we have a perfect Savior who's making us Father, we just thank you for, again, just your word and your truth. Lord, some of us feel like we've got so far to go. The reality is, is that every one of us, when we make it home, will be perfect. We'll be complete. Oh, the work will be done. But in the meantime, my prayer for each of us, Lord, is that we would call sin what it is. It's sin. That we'd recognize it in our own lives and we would repent from it. That we'd walk so close to you that any time that we do turn our back on you to sin, the Lord, we'd feel it instantly. Desiring to walk closer to you. That our faces would never stop beholding. So that veil would be removed. The mirror that we look in dimly will see clear face to face. Your beautiful face. And Lord, if there's some of us that are playing this religious role, uh, that we feel like we're moral, but we're not really walking with you, I pray, Lord, that you would convict them. Not to bring them to guilt and shame, but to repentance. (laughs) That they would see it. It's your godliness. Godliness. It's your godly sorrow in them that would lead them to this repentance. And Lord, for all of us, again, we pray, help us day to day, in every way, follow you closer. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.